what you guys like this morning. Let's pray after that, of course. God, I thank you that we can be here in this room together. God, I pray that you would open our ears to hear what you want to say to us. God, I pray that you would show us what steps we can take going forward after we leave this room. And God, I pray whoever here needs to just know that you're with them, that they would just have a sense that you are with them through it all. And thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been in this series called Countercultural Christ for the past few weeks. And it has been great reflecting on Jesus and what he taught and what he stood for. That would have challenged what was widely accepted and practiced during that day. He disrupted the scene with his words, his presence in the best of ways. You know, what Jesus was teaching and doing would have been seen as preposterous, foolish, and absurd. Jesus was radical. He insulted the religious leaders. He messed with their comfortability. He was different. And different gets our attention. It got their attention, and it gets our attention too. And it had me thinking about, you know, the, the outfits that we see at like the Met Gala. You know, they don't just wear those things just on accident. They wear it on purpose. Or if you see fashion shows, they're wearing these ridiculous things. And it's truly to get the attention of the people who are looking at these photos going to these events. You know, these people would stand out if they were walking through Walmart. And that's saying something. (laughs) Different gets your attention. And this morning, I want to get your attention. Because I believe that God wants to speak to you. Now, Jesus, he didn't have fashion shows or red carpets to grab the attention of the people of his day. Jesus, he had stories to tell. These stories are also called parables. Parables are stories that illustrate spiritual truths about Jesus and his mission. Dave's coming up to... Hello. All right, now I don't have to hear like a clicking every time I I say two words. All right, let's back it up. Start over. So let's do the sports poll now. All right, so Jesus, he did not have fashion shows. He did not have red carpets to get the attention of the people of that time. He had stories. No, these stories are called parables. And they illustrate the spiritual truths that Jesus wanted to get across to these people. Jesus used this sort of communication often because it captivated his listeners. They weren't straightforward stories and direct. 
but they aimed for the listener to chew on what was being told to them so that they can continually reevaluate what they thought about a certain topic. This parable that we're about to go through is about the upside-down values of God's kingdom, meaning the values of God are not the same as the values of this world. We're going to start in Luke 18:9. Jesus told a story to some people who were sure they were right with God. They looked down on everyone else. Luke here, he gives us an image of the audience that Jesus was addressing. He was addressing the self-righteous, those who think highly of their actions, those who judge others and compare. This story was to get their attention. And we're about to be introduced to two characters that Jesus paints, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And before I continue reading, it's important that we understand how these two groups of people were viewed during that day. Pharisees, they were religious leaders who were highly respected in the community. While tax collectors were the exact opposite. He had the most hated profession in the town because tax collectors were seen as thieves, those who were robbing the people of their money. When listeners would hear about the Pharisees, they would assume that they had a close relationship with God and would believe that the Pharisee had the upper hand when it came to being heard by God rather than the tax collector's words. This story would have been a huge shock to the listeners. Let's continue in Luke 18, 10 through 12. He said to them, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. He said, I am not like robbers or those who do evil things. I am not like those who commit adultery. I am not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. This is the Pharisee's prayer. And it starts with this nice prayer of thanksgiving, but it ends with this prayer of comparison and boasting. He judges the tax collector based on his profession, and he notes that, oh, I'm fasting more than's required. I'm giving well. He knows that he's doing everything required of him and more by his culture. And it's not that tithing or fasting or practicing your faith are bad things. But it's the heart that is much like the culture that we live in. The parable is centering around this theme of pride. We are sadly drawn to pride. Here's the truth. Pride can be a poison. There are two types of pride according to modern psychologists. They say we have authentic pride, which is the good kind of pride. It's a feeling of confidence and competence in what you are able to do. Good pride, it can motivate a person to do well. 
But anything in excessive form can be a bad thing. It's like Augustus Gloop in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He sees this river of chocolate before him, and he goes up to it, and he's shoveling the chocolate river into his mouth. Wonka and the others, he warns him, hey, stop, you don't want to do that. But Augustus thinks he knows what's best. He ends up falling into the river, and we know he ends up stuck in the chocolate pipe. Excessive pride, it's like this. It's called hubristic pride. This kind of pride lets your ego and arrogance take over. It diminishes your self-awareness, and it leads to us devaluing people, and we turn others into our competitors. To feel, you know, a sense of worthiness, we find that we are putting others down to feel superior. Sinful pride, it attempts to take the place of God. 1 John 2, 16 through 17 says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Pride in the bad sense, it's not from God, but it's from the world. It's encouraged in our culture. We flaunt what we have. We aim to prove our worth in ways that hurt ourselves, others, and God. This is not only in like physical things that we have, but our achievements, our work, our family, our education, our money. Pride, it can keep us from living the life that God has for us. Everyone in this room has come face to face with their own pride. And if you're thinking, you know, I don't deal with pride, Faith, well, that's the first sign that you're dealing with pride. Here are some um, signs of pride that I found. It's a long list, but I think it's just I want us to all be on the same page. You know, assuming that you already know what's being taught. You're argumentative, won't ask for help. You hide how you feel. You hold back so others won't think less of you. You're too good to perform certain tasks. You feel the need to teach somebody something constantly. You know, the topic of most of your conversations is you or what's going on in your life. You disregard advice. Consistently critical. You need consistent praise, attention, admiration. You build this fantasy world of power, brilliance, or gifting that makes you feel special in control or superior. And, you know, that leads you to only being able to communicate with people who are on this high status. You're envious of others. You, you say things like, this is just how I am when confronted with a flaw that is maybe demonstrating an unteachable spirit. Maybe hyper-spirituality. You can't receive constructive criticism. Self-centeredness, self-righteousness. 
prayerlessness, harsh words, covenant breaking. The list goes on. And I don't say that to shame us, but I say it, say it so we can all be on the same foothold. We all can relate with something that says, this is where pride is in my life. We need to remember that pride can be a poison. So what heals? I just told you this really sad stuff here, but what heals this pride that plagues us? And it's this. Humility is the antidote to pride. Humility is the antidote to pride. Luke 18, 13 through 14, we're going to continue our story. It says, but the tax collector stood farther away than the Pharisee. He would not even look up to heaven. He brought his hand to his heart and prayed. He said, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I tell you, the tax collector went home accepted by God, but the Pharisee, but not the Pharisee. All those who lift themselves up will be made humble, and those who make themselves humble will be lifted up. The tax collector is said to have been further away from the Pharisee in the temple courts. In general, these two people wouldn't have been allowed in the same section of the temple because of their differences. But their differences here are greater because the tax collector has a different attitude. He knows he's a sinner. He mourns his sin. He knows that he is in need of God. He is not self-focused. He asks for mercy that only God could give. Humility is what defines the tax collector. And I love how one Bible encyclopedia puts humility. It's this. Humility is altogether right reaction of a guilty creature in the presence of a holy creator. Humility is admitting that God is God and we are not. And we will never be. Humility is lifting our lives up to Christ, knowing that we are in desperate need of him. Humility is not judging others. And it it's taking the focus off, to making, um, off of making us lofty and it's putting our energy into building up and supporting other people. I follow this account on Instagram called the Salt and Gold Collection. She's an artist. She draws these different pictures and she posts them. And she has this series called the Foot Washing Series. I really recommend looking at it. Every photo shows Jesus kneeling at someone's feet washing them. And there's a different person on this stool every time. It's like the same picture of Jesus washing feet. And then you might see politicians. You might see inmates. You might see people from controversial social groups. You might see a distracted teenager. You might see those dealing with mental health. Whatever the person is, she put them on this chair with Jesus washing these feet. And it's powerful it's powerful because it challenges the pride in our hearts and it challenges the pride in my heart that just me deciding who deserves to sit in that feet and that seat. And I'm reminded that we are all in that seat needing our feet to be washed by Jesus. 
I believe that Jesus today wants to start to heal pride in our hearts through humility. Luke 18:14b says, "All those who lift themselves up will be made humble, and those who make themselves humble will be lifted up." What Jesus says, it's countercultural. It changes our way of thinking and relating to people. So we're going to focus on how humility is the antidote to pride today. So the first thing we're going to look at is humble people, they realize their need for Jesus. In Jesus' parable, we hear about the two men, the Pharisee, you know, he's busy sharing about himself, what he's done, and the tax collector who's sincerely asking for mercy for his sins. Jesus says that the Pharisee lifted himself up while the tax collector recognized his need for Jesus. The book of Isaiah is an incredible book. The prophet Isaiah, he prophesied to the kingdom of Judah. You know, the people there, they were going through much growth in the Lord, but also in rebellion. Isaiah, he shared this message of hope. He encouraged repentance of sins, and he gave hope for the expectation of God's plan to deliver his people. All over the book, you see just images of Jesus and before he's ever physically on the scene. I really recommend looking at it. And in the final chapter, we hear his warnings to the people to stop worshiping other gods. In the verse I read, we will hear what God was looking for in the people, which he still calls us to today. In Isaiah 66, 2, it says, Didn't I make everything by my power? That is how all things were created, announces the Lord. The people I value are not proud. They are sorry for the wrong things they have done. They have great respect for what I say. And this really reflects on how that we can show God that we realize our need for him when we repent. Humble people are able to see that they need God. God is the reason that all things were created. God's the reason why you're in this room this morning. He is your source of forgiveness, and all things come from him alone. So humble people are able to repent, and they're able to say sorry for the wrong they've done. When I was in college, um, I was able to go to Cuba on a learning and service trip. And we'd go out and we'd pray for the people around the community. And one day, we, my little group, was going to be late to getting back. And I would get real, got really nervous about that because I didn't want to disappoint my leaders. So I'm like thinking, what can I say? Why was I late? But our group leader, his name was Sam, and he was a pastor from Queens. And he said, hey, I'm going to own it. I'm going to own while we, why we were late. And that really impacted my life because it taught me that we can own what we do wrong. We can own it, apologize, and move forward and make different choices going forward. That's why humility is a good thing and it can heal our pride 
because we can own our actions. We can own how it affects others instead of rejecting, oh, I didn't do that. I don't need to say sorry. Saying sorry and repenting for the things we have done is the first step in rejecting pride and taking on a humble spirit. And we can do this. We can start this in our sincerity, in our prayer with God by getting real with him, by expressing that you're aware of your actions. You can do this with the people in your life that you need to communicate with. You can come to God and ask him to join you in finding healing in those places. Humble people, they realize their need for Jesus. The second thing is this. Humble people choose God's way over their own. Philippians 2, 6-8 says this, In his very nature, he was God. Jesus was equal with God, but Jesus didn't take advantage of that fact. Instead, he made himself nothing. He did this by taking on the nature of a servant. He was made just like human beings. He appeared as a man. He was humble and obeyed God completely. He did this even though it led to his death. Even worse, he died on a cross. Humble people are aware that they need Jesus and they need to follow his guidance. Christ set this perfect example like we just read in our little passage. He was equal with God, but he did not choose the negative pride but he chose to humble himself, to serve others. He decided to come and relate to us by being in flesh. Jesus set the example of humility, especially when he obeyed his father. He went willingly to the cross. And it's because of his obedience and humility that we are all able to access salvation. Everything about Jesus was humble. Some might even see what he went through as being humiliating. In his birth, his circumstances, his reputation, his death and burial. But it was all necessary to execute the purpose of God. To fulfill the Old Testament types and prophecies. And to satisfy the law and show us this example of humility. We often choose our own way of doing things. Last year, I was in Italy visiting Pompeii. And while we were there, you can see Mount Vesuvius in the background. It's really beautiful. And people still go there to hike. And just a few weeks before we got there, an American family decided to go past the barrier and go on a trail that they couldn't go on. It was restricted. They chose their own way of doing things. Once they were up there, they decided to take a family selfie, and the phone dropped into the mouth of the volcano. Okay, and choosing to do their own things, this 23-year-old man decided to climb down to go and get his phone where he in turn fell meters down into the crater. People die that way. Don't choose your own way when it comes to that. Thankfully though, 
they were able to get him out of this crater. But it just shows us that we, when we choose our own way, we are maybe messing with something that we shouldn't. But when we face, you know, that we're wrong, that we choose the wrong way of doing something and choose God's way, we're practicing being humble. The infamous Mother Teresa, who I really love reading her stuff, she says this, Be sincere in your prayers. Sincerity is humility. And you acquire humility only by accepting humiliations. All that has been said about humility is not enough to teach you humility. All that you have read about humility is not enough to teach you humility. You learn humility only by accepting humiliations. And you will meet humiliation all through your life. And the greatest humiliation is to know that you are nothing. This you come to know when you face God in prayer. And there might be something this morning that you're thinking, oh, I'm choosing my way over God's way. Maybe it feels harmless or feeds your desire, but we're going to challenge ourselves going forward out of this room. God has way better for you. We can choose to be countercultural and choose humility, to face our humiliations. Psalm 25, 9 says, He shows those who aren't proud how to do what is right. He teaches them his ways. If you want to know what is right, go to God. Get in your word. Be around people who are like-minded, who are pointing you to the Lord. Because when we're able to be humble, when we're able to choose God's way over our own way, pride will be defeated in our hearts. So let's just wrap this up this morning. Because humble people realize their need for Jesus. And I think if you're sitting in this room and you can say, I realize my need for Jesus, you are at the right point. And if you're sitting here and you're saying, okay, there's something that I can choose God's way over my own way, you are going to start to defeat pride in your life and you're going to allow humility to clothe your life. So I'm just going to read this verse to finish in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. You are God's chosen people. You are holy and dearly loved. So put on tender mercy and kindness as if they were your clothes. Don't be proud. Be gentle and patient. Put up with one another. Forgive one another if you are holding something against someone. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. And over all these good things, put on love. Love holds them all together perfectly as if it were one. Clothe yourself with these things. Intentionally put it on as you wake up in the morning and go humbly. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you have come to say that pride has no hold in our life.
God, I pray that going forward, we would be countercultural and we would choose humility over and over again. God, I pray that those in this room who realize their need for you, that they would come to you, that they would ask you to be with them, Lord. And God, I pray for those making decisions that they would be able to choose your way over their own way. God, give them people, give them resources to help them to make those decisions. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.